Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, that conference is my conference. See, I'm, for those of you that are new here, my name's Doug. I've been here, I don't know, several years speaking off and on. I'm not a real pastor. Um, I just, I fill in when the real pastor's gone. I'm kind of like the B team. So, uh, but what I do every, uh, you know, I'm not on full-time staff at Mariners. I teach on relationships. I write books on marriage and parenting. And so for the last five years, Jim Burns, who's my hero, also goes to, to church here, was my youth pastor. I was Jeff McGuire's youth pastor. So there's this legacy of old people here. Uh, but Jim and I have done this conference in L.A. for the last five years at Azusa Pacific University, and all the Mariners people have been driving up. So last year we had like 100 people from Mariners Mission Viejo drive up, 25 from Mariners Irvine, wimpy, non-committed people. And um, so literally as I'm driving home from that conference, Kenton, the lead pastor of all of Mariners, calls and says, why are, why are you doing it in L.A.? Why aren't you doing it in our own backyard? You go to Mariners, do it at Mariners. So we decided we'll do one in L.A., but we're going to do one in Orange County. We go to Mariners. You guys, because this is my church, you get a, it's like $120 for a couple. You get it for $80. One person has signed up from this church. One. <laughs> one. Do you know how much fun I'm getting made? I'm like, we got to do it. Mariners Mission Viejo, they're committed. They're really into marriage. They want the refreshing your marriage. One of you have signed up for this conference. Not that, I, not that I'm bitter or angry. It's processed through counseling this week. Um, if you need scholarships, we'll help you take care of it. No, I know we're Orange County people. <laughs> We sign up last minute because I know you're all going. It's only a Friday night and a Saturday. We're thrilled for, to have you there. All right. That's the, and, the, and by the way, in, this, in your bulletin here, where you can go ahead and pull out your notes, but on the back side, it gives you the website to sign up for Refreshing Your Marriage, and there's a promo code. You need to use that promo code to get the discount. And if you don't get the discount, uh, don't, don't email me because I won't email you back. Um, <laughs> I, I tell people all the time when uh, people that say, if you want to draw a crowd with teenagers, you speak on either sex or end times. I mean, if you really want to draw a crowd and meet them where they're at, you speak on sex or end times. Those two biggest crowd times. The third would be, will there be sex during the end times, which is very difficult to teach on. Uh, but if you're going to draw a crowd of adults in Orange County, and you're really going to speak to the needs of what they're going through, you'd speak on sex and busyness. Or will there be uh, busyness in the end times? Or, you know, something like that. Anyway, um, and I'm going to do today what I teach speakers, when I teach people how to speak, I say never do this. Never do this. I'm going to break my own rule. See, my style is I like what is called a more inductive approach where I'm a little mysterious at the beginning and lead you in to the topic. You don't tell people right away what you're going to speak on because then they can check out. But I've already kind of told you. But here's, here's the message in a nutshell. The message in a nutshell is busyness is killing relationships. It's killing relationships. You know, as we are in this series on getting tuned in, if you want to tune in to God, you have to be in relationships. But where we live in Orange County, specifically South Orange County, people are just too busy for relationships. 
busyness is what I would call uh, relational kryptonite. In Orange County, we have a 70% divorce rate. We have counseling offices filled up with terrible parent-child relationships, co-workers who hate one another, friends who don't have time for, for one another. Because of the pace of life that we choose, it makes relationships very, very difficult. And you know, what's interesting to me is busyness is not a Christian versus a non-Christian issue. I'm currently doing some consulting for, um, I've actually been given a title. I'm the director of strengthening relationships at a, um, at a business that employs 7,000 people. And what I found working there the last year, these 7,000 people, I haven't met with everyone face-to-face, but I've met with a lot of Christians, non-Christians, Mormons, Buddhists, Baptists, atheists, all flavors, all shapes, and the number one message I'm hearing is, I'm too busy. When you dig deep into why these relationships aren't working, that's what they're saying. Why? Because... Healthy relationships require time, and time is one thing busy people don't have. Now, I have to, with all integrity to teach this, I have to begin with confession. Now, here's, if you've been around for a while, you've heard me teach a lot. I always feel a little hypocritical when I teach the Bible. Always. I feel a little hypocritical because I know that in my own life, I have so far to go. But... um, when I talk about busyness, I feel more hypocritical. I mean, I've, when I talk about relationships, because I've got to know some of your relationships, and some of you are whacked, okay? I mean, I don't feel as, I mean, my relational problems are like a, you know, a pimple on a pig's butt compared to yours, all right? Uh, uh, you know, some of you are whacked. But when it comes to busyness, I feel a little bit more hypocritical because I'm in about a, a 13-year journey of what I would call busy recovery. Hi, my name is Doug Fields. I am a busy-aholic. It started at a very young age. I graduated college in three years. I cut a year off of my graduate school by just going faster and taking more loads. I wrote my first book by the time I was 22 years old. I wrote 30 books by the time I was 40. I'm actually writing a book in between these services today, okay? <laughs> I, I like fast. I go to bed and I dream about productivity. I don't even eat minute rice because it takes too long. Are you with me? All right, I eat fast food, instant breakfast. I, I, I don't like to wait in lines when I go grocery, to the grocery store. I actually run logarithms in my mind to which line to stand in because it might save me one minute. So I, I divide the items of, uh, that are in a cart by the age of the checker, and then I pick a line. And I don't pick a line and relax. I pick a line and I compete against the other lines of where I would have been had I been in those lines. And if I win, I do a little in-your-face touchdown dance as I walk by them, okay? That's, that's me, all right? And the pace of life that I have chosen to live, it not only affects me, I actually impose those speedy values on those who are closest to me. That I can remember, you know, telling Kathy at one point, baby, if you, just, if you would just concentrate, you could give birth to our kids prematurely. 
Okay. Uh, and and uh, <laughs> I, won't, uh, I won't tell you what she said, but let's just say she responded fast as well. So, you know, as I, as I look back on all of, all of my life, what has it got me? Maybe a few academic accolades, a couple career data boys, but there's been a cost because there is a cost to busyness, and it's often steep. For me, it cost me a hospital stay before I was 40 years old, checking out the condition of my heart, daily high blood pressure medication. And what I know most and I'm most embarrassed about is it has cost me relational depth because I know what it's like to be king of the land called shallow. You can't go deep with people when you're moving through life so fast. There's a price to pay. Now, some of you are skeptical thinkers, and you're thinking, you know, well, yeah, it's, but it's, it's worked for you. I mean, you've got a yeah, house in, in Orange County. You've got a career. You look to be in amazing shape. You have awesome hair. I mean, you know, just, I mean, do you think you'd have had all that stuff if you wouldn't have pushed so hard and, and gone so fast? And for those of you that are skeptical, that's a fair question. But upon reflection, who's to say that the life that I chose was God's best for me? That moving busy and going fast, maybe I was going so fast that I missed God's still, small voice. See, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that God doesn't use me. I know God uses me, but... I don't think I took the right route. That is, upon reflection, I go, I would be deeper. I would be more committed in relationships. I would be more thoughtful, more passionate, more intelligent. Had I actually learned some of the lies that were fueling my pace earlier on. That's my self-disclosure. How, how about that, all right? And if you repeat any of it outside this room, I'll deny it. Uh, but it was about 13 years ago that I began a drastic change in my life. You can ask anyone close to me. Um, the 13 years ago, I, one, I started using hair gel. And two, um, I, I made some changes based on a profound scripture that pierced my heart. And I want to I want to share that scripture with you, and I want to share some of the changes, because I think some of you, not all of you, there's 20% of you, this doesn't apply, 80% it does, that you will, you will actually meet me here. And so I want to just ask about, about you. Let me give you some words, and if any of these words identify you or you can relate to them on a significant basis, I want you to raise your hand in, in a second. So let's just hear these words first. Busy. Rushed stressed, empty, fatigue, overload, superficial. Anybody say, yeah, you're talking about me. Yeah, look around. A lot, lot of people and a lot that are lying. Uh, here's, here's my observation. My observation is busy people are broken people. Busy people are broken people. They're broken somewhere. They're broken relationally. 
They're broken emotionally. They're broken spiritually. They're broken somewhere because busy equals broken. They're busy in the pursuit of trying to find something that will fill their brokenness. That's my story. Now, some of you would disagree with that, and that's okay, because when you get to heaven, you'll see I was right and and you were wrong. And we're going to look at your busy issues in just a second, but what I want to do is I want to take you to an interaction with Jesus that Jesus has with a busy woman, and I want you to find yourself in this story, and I believe that what he says to her is what he wants to say to you and I today. If you have your Bibles, it's, I'm going to be reading out of Luke chapter 10. If not, it's in your notes or up on the screen. Verse Starting with verse 38, it says this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he had said. So now they're already in the house. Jesus has taken a seat. Mary is sitting listening to to him, being in the presence of of Jesus. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him, Jesus, and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, Martha. Martha. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is is better, and it will not be taken from her. Mary has chosen what is better. You've got two sisters, one setting, two different reactions. And I've studied this text a lot and because I find myself being very much like like Martha and yet in in my gut in my soul when I think about what I want my life to be like I want to be the person who chooses better. And my guess is that would identify you as as well. And because I've, I've studied this, I actually see a pattern of busyness in this short little story um, that identifies to real life. And I put that in your notes so you don't have to try to remember it, but I've actually put the, the verses next to it where I, I see this pattern. The first is this, is busyness often begins with good intentions, Okay, it begins with good intentions. And in verse 38, it says, a woman named Martha opened her home. That was nice. I mean, she was being hospitable. She has a, a good heart. Maybe there's a little bit of an early days Martha Stewart. She's got her, her best placemats out that she handcrafted from the hair of a yak. And, and she's, she's excited to, to show them off. See, Mary, Martha in this story is, she's not wicked. She's, she's not evil, she's gracious, like, like you. I mean, some of you are evil, and you know who you are. But, you know, the point, is, it, it began with good intentions. Your life began with good intentions. You had good intentions for your marriage. You had good intentions for your career. You have good intentions for your kids. 
You have good intentions for your schooling, for your family, good intentions for, for being a volunteer and being involved in the community. But good intentions add up. And they pile up. And too many good intentions can actually lead to distractions. That's the second piece that I see in this pattern of busyness. Is that we get derailed by lesser distractions. In verse 40, the first part of verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Had to be made. She was distracted by all that had to be made to be made. This is interesting. Your sister is having chips and dip with God in the flesh and you're busying yourself around the house. Now, we do this all the time. Here's what we do. We give priorities to distractions. And these distractions keep us from our priorities. I can't tell you how many times that I've said, I know that you've said th this too, that I have to do something later to find out somebody else could have done that. It didn't have to be done. Martha, you're busying yourself Why Jesus is right there. Now, this is the guy who went 40 days without food. He can, he can, and if he is hungry, he turns water into wine and bread into a hometown buffet. I mean, he's all right. What had to be done? But we get distracted. The third part of this is that pressure and then pity soon follow. You can hear it in her voice. She came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? I mean, this is the, that's the pity party. You can hear it. Lord, don't you, you, you care? And the scriptures do not tell us what was the boiling point. We don't know what threw Martha over the edge. We don't know if she reached up to get a, a pan out and there was a smaller pan inside and it fell on her fig and date appetizer plate, you know, which made the dogs start barking and all the disciples were asking for refills like it was Denny's Damascus and, and you know, and she, and she snaps. Hey, and by the way, that's usually a sign that you have no margin in your life. It's usually a sign that you're too busy. When you have no emotional reserves to draw from when something goes wrong. And so then you say things and you do things that are so relationally wounding. <laughs> I realize I'm not talking to anybody here. Uh, but, you know... No one understands how tough it is for me to raise my kids, for me to do my job, for me to live in Orange County. You know, we, we, we want people to come on and join our, our pity party. And a lot of times I often think, what if I was Jesus? If I was there and Martha said, Lord, Doug, uh, you know, don't you care? You know what my response would have been? No. I don't care. Here's a shekel. Call somebody who does. Because you know what? I've got the whole world to save. I'm going to die on a cross for your sins. I got a, I'm pretty important. I got a lot of stuff that, that's happening. I don't care that you're not, you, Mary doesn't want to help you open a few cans of Snapple. 
sit down, you know. I, that would just be me, all right? You'd just be glad I'm not Jesus, okay? And then what happens is, here's where it gets relationally ugly. Watch this. The fourth one there is that after pressure and pity, resentment arrives. You, you can almost hear this inner voice. Tell her to help me. I mean, if, if Mary, Jesus, if Mary was more like me, you'd already had your feet washed, that beard would have been trimmed. I mean, we'd be kicking back, watching, dancing with Samaritans. I mean, there, there's more, and if she were just more like me. See, when resentment enters in, what happens is the person becomes the target of that resentment. And you've just created an emotional enemy. You see this all the time in marriages and parent child and friends and co-workers that resentment it just leads us to ugly places relationally and a lot of times people can't get out of that and resentment is a clear sign that there's damage done to your heart when damage is done to your heart that's a sign that there's resentment living there and see you know my job is to try to take the scriptures and say, what, is God, what could God be saying? Okay? I'm just trying to be faithful to what the Spirit is doing in me to teach you. So I don't know if this is exactly it. But here's what I think Jesus wants us to understand out of this whole event. And I put them in your notes as truths. Because I think truths counteract lies. And the first truth is that busyness is a choice. And, and a lot of people don't like to hear this. Because when they say, I'm so busy, and say, then you could say, well, that was your choice. People don't like to hear that. People even said to me, I don't have a choice. I've got, I'm, I'm working three jobs because if I don't work these three jobs, I can't live in Orange County. <laughs> See the choice there? You don't have to live in Orange County where the median price of a home is $630,000. You could choose to live in Des Moines, Iowa where the median price is $130,000. See, when you slow your life down enough, really, when you get off the freeway and move into the rest stop, and you begin to go to the genesis of your busyness, you see that it all starts with a choice. And probably a choice out of good intentions. That's the first truth, is busyness is a choice. The second truth I think we get out of this event is that busy isn't better. Choosing better is better. Busy isn't better. Friends, that is a lie that you and I have embraced from the culture that we live in. We live in a culture that says busy is better. And you may not you know, have that as a plaque in your house, but chances are you have adopted it as an Orange County lifestyle. We even greet one another. You haven't seen a friend in a while. What do we say? We, we greet them with what? You keeping busy. Yeah, you keeping busy. Oh, yes, I am, Skipper. I am keeping very busy. <laughs> well, that way, you are a productive human in our society. Friends, this is sick, is that we greet people with the question of, of busyness. Busy isn't better, choosing better is better. So now, if you and I were sitting knee to knee, eye to eye, sharing coffee, and you say, Doug, I get it, I get it, <laughs> you got me. 
But what's the standard for which we're to choose? If really busy isn't better, but choosing better is better, what's better, what's the standard or the foundation from which to choose? I mean, wouldn't it be great if Martha could have said, let's pause. Jesus, what is better? What is most important? Wouldn't that have been great to ask him? Yeah? Yeah, that would have been great. I'm just telling you it would have been great to ask him. But uh, here's the deal. You don't have to ask him because it was already asked. And we have the answer all throughout Scripture. It's been given the term or the title of the great commandment. It's in Matthew 22. You can see it up on the screen. Someone asked Jesus, teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law. Now, there's a lot that goes into this. You can read your own commentaries if you want. There were 613 Old Testament laws. 613. And everybody was always trying to jockey about which was the most important. And, and now they're saying, okay, let's, let's see if we can't get him. This guy, this teacher, this rabbi, this, this one that always draws a crowd to give an answer. Which is the greatest? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So it's love God, it's love others, it's love yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So if I'm really to look at my life and hold up the mirror and say, how do I choose better what Jesus is saying is, hey, all that stuff out, let me, let me just boil it down to make it easy, Doug, for your, your simple mind. Love me, love others. Love me, love others. That's the standard for which the choices are better. So now let's make this about you. What does this mean in 2016? Well, you were created to have a loving relationship with God. He's drawing you into that relationship that your soul might be, might be filled in that relationship. And chances are deep down in your gut, you want that fulfillment as well. So how do you make better choices like Mary, maybe when you're wired more like Martha? Okay? So A, over here, I gave you a pattern that I see of busyness. I want to introduce you to a new pattern. A new pattern that I've been trying to live out for the last 13 years. I've been calling other people to live it out. It's not mine. I stole it from the Bible. I mean, basically everything I steal from, from the scriptures. But I, I, I'm going really practical here. Because if I don't go practical, here's what happens. People walk out and they go, oh, that was, you know, that was nice. I like that one funny joke. And, and they just, you know, go on to lunch. It, 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 I want it to be p powerful so if it's powerful, it's going to be pra it needs to be practical. So I'm breaking this down for you. Some of you that don't like this, I'm sorry, but I, I want to help the masses. Here's what I think uh, uh, developing a new pattern looks like. First is this. You confess the lies that you've been believing. You confess them. Okay? Name them what they are. They're, they're sick, they're filthy, they're insidious lies that actually add gasoline to the as fuel to the flame of your pace and your speed and you get them out in the open because when you confess the lie then all of a sudden you can see the lie so probably the biggest lie that we live with in, in Orange County is this that accomplishment and achievement determine your value that's the biggest lie 
That's the biggest lie that most of us don't want to talk about, that accomplishment and achievement determine our value. So that if you're insecure, like I am, because I'm broken, okay, that you think, well, if I'm insecure to become secure, I have to achieve or accomplish, and then I get that, that human validation. No, our value, theologically, our value comes is that we are created as God's masterpiece. And that God gives us our value. But you've got you've to confess that lie. That's the lie that you've been believing. Or one of the lies. Or maybe that's not the lie, but there are other lies. Like when you say this lie. There's just not enough time to do everything. That's a lie. One of the things we all have in common. 1,440 minutes a day. Doesn't matter where you are in the world. 1,440 minutes a day. And the standard of those 1,440 minutes a day is to love God and love others. And so if we're not loving God and not loving others, we're not using the time the way that God has called us to use that, that time. That's a lie. Or another lie when we're tempted to say, this is just, Doug, it's just a busy season that I'm in. Okay, that's when you need to look in the mirror and go, liar, liar, pants on fire. All right, it's not just a busy season. You have become a busy person. The word seasons end. Your busyness has not, not ended. Or when you try to justify to a spouse or to a child or to, to a friend, and you say, I, I have to do this because no one else can do this. That's when you give them a stick and permission to hit you with it. All right, that other people can do. I don't know what the lie is. All I know is that busy people are broken people. And they've bought into some lie that is enhancing their speed. I don't know what yours is. All I'm asking you to do is at least name it. Bring it out in the open. Number two is to go in real practical is to identify the distractions. Make a list of all the things that you're doing that are keeping you busy And then put a star by the ones that are distractions. Now, your spouse and your children cannot be on that list, all right? (laughs) Now, parents, some of the things that you've gotten your kids involved in that they have to do, okay, those can be on the list. But your, your primary family cannot make that list. Now, distractions can be different for all of us. I can't give you what your distractions are. I could give you some general distractions. This is a general distraction. Okay? This is a general distraction. I see it every single day when I go to restaurants that husband and wives, parent, child, friends are sitting together and they're they're on this. Okay? And I'm not asking you to throw it away. I'm not asking you to become Amish and run from electricity. I'm not asking you not to have Facebook, Instagram. I'm just saying that this is an example of a distraction. And social scientists have now referred to it as technoference, meaning that technology is interrupting relationships. So this would be an example of a distraction. And what you'll find sometimes as you make this list, sometimes your distractions will be somebody else's priorities. Tension. Right? So, for example, in my life, um, email. The devil created email, all right? And I hate email because email, here's what email does. It, it arrives and it says, do something, respond, give me an answer. I came with an exclamation mark, so I'm obviously really important. And you've got to stop what you're doing and answer my, my email, 
I, I hate it. It is a distraction. But my distraction, let's go to my assistant who kind of runs my life. That's her priority. She wants to get answers from all these people that are asking her questions about me. And so not only am I getting an email, she's getting an email, and she's like giving me emails to answer the emails that I'm not answering. Are you with me? That creates tension. Now, here's what happens. When you actually begin to get healthy, and you actually begin to realize that you've got to choose better, not everybody's going to like you. Because you're so used to saying yes to everyone. Because you're a people pleaser. Why? Because you're broken. And you want to say yes so they will validate you. When you begin to get healthy, you actually use this word. No. And not people, people want you to be healthy. They just don't want you to say no to them. All right, so as you go through this list, you're going to find out that when you allow other people's priorities to become your priorities, that will always enhance your speed. Does that make sense? The third in this new pattern, and th put a star by this one because this one you need, to, you need to ruminate, meditate, smoke on this one, okay? Embrace the truth that every yes is a no to someone. I mean, if we're talking about relationships, every time you say yes, you're saying no to someone or something. So this week, I got an invitation to speak somewhere. Um, and it's one that I've always wanted to speak at this place. And they weren't just inviting me. They were actually begging me because somebody better had dropped out. And so they were, and, and I don't want to brag, I don't want to name names, but think, think White House. Okay, then scale that back uh, <laughs> until you get to like Waffle House, all right? But still, for me in my world, kind of, a, kind of a big deal to be invited to that. And I really wanted to say yes to that. But then as I go to the calendar and I meet with Kathy, what we see is major conflict that if I say yes to that, feeds Doug e Doug's ego, Makes Doug feel good about himself because this is something he's always wanted to do. If I say yes to that, I'm actually saying no to some very important family, family stuff. Now, here's the truth, and here's where the battle lies. There are a hundred other people who could speak at that event that would do a better job than me. But there's only one person who's called to be the husband to Kathy Fields. There's only one person who's supposed to be the dad to my kids. And every yes is a no somewhere. So when you say yes to working those extra hours, you're saying no to your, your family. When you say yes to something as simple as, you know, 30 minutes of a dumb TV show, you might be saying no to a soul-nurturing conversation with, with a friend. When you say yes to having a really clean and tidy home, you might actually be saying no to, to time with God. In this journey that I've been on for 13 years, I wrote a little book called um, What Matters Most When No is better than yes. 
It's really small. It's the kind I like to read. Uh, it's actually a toilet reading book. You could probably read the, the whole thing in an hour. And I actually wrote it to ministry leaders, to ministry leaders. But if you're somebody that wants to take this a little, you want to think a little deeper on your life, you have a hard time saying no, you're a people pleaser, you want to get to the root of your brokenness, if you want to, I brought a couple boxes. You're going to have to make the, you know, like I said, I wrote it to ministry leaders. You're going to have to make the connection. And a lot of people, there's a guy in our church named Alan who bought 10 copies for the guys that he works with, okay? So it's, it's just, it's not written exactly to you. You're going to have to pull the connection out. And here's the deal. It's, if you can't afford it, I will give it to you for free, okay? Um, it's $300. No. Um, <laughs> no, seriously, if you, it, but here's the deal. I got to do a caveat because some of you are evil. So here's the deal. If you promise to read it, and you can't afford it, I'll give it to you, okay? But you have to promise to read it, and, and you can't uh, afford it. Uh, for the rest of you, you can afford it, okay? It's 10 bucks, toilet reading. Uh, not the, some of you may not need it, but for others of you that you need help with busyness, and you're saying yes to too many things, and you need to get at the root of that, it's kind of a little bit of my story of unpacking that and how I've brought some, some healing in my life. The bottom life is, line is this. You need to say no to opportunities so you can have some margin to say yes to what is most important, right? The fourth part of this, and by the way, that book's in the lobby just this weekend if you want. Um, fourth is to resolve to choose what is better. Resolve to choose what is better. And this is, this is what happens when we leave in a few minutes. Resolving to choose what is better. Better. See, one of the most spiritual things that you might do is to open up a big can of no and actually apply it to some upcoming choices. See, choosing, making the resolve to choose what is better, this is radical. I mean, I, what I'm talking about is, is courageous decisions that are not easy to make. What I'm talking about today, this is, not, this is not easy. Life is not about easy choices. Life is not like, um, do I pet that puppy or do I get a colonoscopy? Okay, you know, that, that is not life. Wouldn't it be great if those were the types of choices? No, we're choosing oftentimes between great and greater. But Mary has chosen better. See, why Martha worked, Mary worshipped. Why Martha was distracted, Mary was focused. Why Martha felt pressure, Mary felt peace. Why Martha felt resentment, Mary felt enjoyment. And Jesus said, you have chosen so I've been dreaming, like, what would it look like if people actually did what we talked about? That Jesus would have that small whisper to you. Doug, today, you chose better. You chose better. Tomorrow, I'm going to give you another 1,440 minutes. I'm going to be with you through my spirit. To help you have the discernment to choose what is better for the preferred life that I have for you. That I know that you 
want. And by the way, making decisions is what proves that I'm a follower of Jesus. You don't, you don't know that I'm a follower of Jesus by looking at my car and seeing a bumper sticker. It doesn't make me a follower of Jesus by the scripture tattoo that I have on my lower back. You know, uh, you know, it doesn't make me a, uh, a follower of Jesus because I go to church or I go to, to rooted. No, I prove that I'm a follower of Jesus by the choices that I make. That I choose to follow Jesus over following the values of the world. Friends, it is that simple and it is that complex. So I want you to imagine what your life might look like. If you actually had some pace and some space and some margin and you weren't always stressed out and busy and overwhelmed, that when it came time to go to life group, you didn't dread it and go, why did I sign up for this? You actually went with this anticipation that you are better because of those people that are going to be there. And the Holy Spirit in them can speak to you in a new and, and fresh way. Can you see yourself making the tough decisions to say, to say no to some things that normally get your yes? Because when you start to make those changes, here's what happens. Your pace will change. Your demeanor and your spirit will change. Your calendar will actually reflect it. And instead of being a person who's always running on empty, you're actually going to be walking. You're going to be walking with an awareness that Jesus walks with you. You're more aware of his presence. That's what happens when you have room in your life to say yes to him and yes to loving others. I can see it happen in you. I've seen it happen in me. And I'm still, I'm still on the journey. And imagine what our church might look like if all of a sudden we go... And we live different, and people are so attracted to that. Right? I'm not sure why you came today. Right? My prayer is always, when I prepare a message for you, is, God, I want to be faithful to do what I can do, but I'm going to trust you to do what you can do. Through the power of your spirit, would you speak to these people? You know everything about them. You love them like crazy. And when you bring about change in their life, that's my prayer. Jesus, would you hear our prayers? Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that your love for us isn't based on our achievement or our accomplishments. That you're calling us to live different. And I know that people in this area, people that call this church home, want to be different. We don't want to be the same. So, Jesus, I pray that you would give us a wisdom and a discernment that is so much greater than our own, that you would call us into looking at life different, the defeating the lies that we've embraced. And I pray that we might really understand what it means to love you and to love others in a new and fresh way. It's in your name that we pray.